Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you with us, as well as all of those worshiping with us out in Prescott Valley today. So grateful for you. If you're a newcomer with us, we're so glad that you are here. Um, want to invite you into this study. We've been in for the last few weeks that we're calling someone is missing. And the idea behind this series is pretty simple that many Christians live as if the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. And so we're trying to do a deep dive on what the, what the scriptures teach us about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we've used a lot of Bible. If you've been in the, in this series with us. There's lots of scriptures that we've been using throughout this series because the Holy Spirit is spoken of so much throughout the New Testament. Um, I could have probably done these sermons without using as much Bible as we have, but I really think it's important for you just to see it. Like, I want you to see all of it. I want you to begin, every time you look in your reading your Bible, I want you to see it. I want you to see how much the Holy Spirit is spoken of because his presence and power and personhood and purpose is everywhere. It is so important. It's such a big deal in scripture. And part of me just wants to overwhelm you with the text that speak about the Holy Spirit to us. So last week, I used about three dozen verses to talk about what the Holy Spirit does. Now, my hope is that you walked away remembering the overarching idea of the one big thing that the Holy Spirit was sent to do. His greatest job is just to simply shine a giant spotlight on Jesus. He wants to give Jesus glory. That is his main purpose. And all of the other things that we talked about, the 30 other things that he does is really just to accomplish that. Now, today, I want to flip the conversation just a little bit. So again, last week was all about what the Holy Spirit does. This week, I want to talk about what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. I want to focus on what the Holy Spirit won't do. And the reason this is so important, hear me out on this, is because people are crazy, (laughs) okay? 
And so we got to say this stuff out loud because people are crazy. And they, they, there are things that they do that they blame on the Holy Spirit. The poor Holy Spirit gets, gets blamed for people sometimes just being crazy. All right. Here's a great example of that. Okay. I'm going to ask you the same five questions you can ask. Hold act- on. Okay. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy oh, Spirit, oh, activate. No. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 Ooh. All right, let's go. 11 years. This never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> that was on national TV. Like, like there, there are people who think that this is how the Holy Spirit works, that he's going to help you win family feud. I've looked, I've looked. There's not, that verse is not in here, all right? He is not activating you for family feud. Like, this is not how it works. But because people are crazy, the Holy Spirit gets blamed and drug into stuff that, that frankly, he shouldn't. So we are going to talk about today some things that the Holy Spirit doesn't do. Now, as we did last week, I've just got a list of some things that I want to share with you. Uh, we'll put some scriptures in there, and then I've got some questions with each of these that I want you just to begin wrestling with, all right? So these are just some application questions that you can work through uh, that are specifically for your groups, whatever community group that you have, your discipleship group, great conversation questions for you today. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit will not contradict his word. Now, I use his word because it's his word. We call it the word of God, and it is the word of God, God, the Holy Spirit. Peter makes this point abundantly clear in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For the prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So specifically, he's addressing all of the prophets in the Old Testament from Moses to Malachi. All of these prophets, when they spoke and they wrote down the word of God for us, they weren't doing it from their own will. It wasn't their own words. It was the word of God by the Holy Spirit. But this doesn't just apply to the Old Testament. Paul writes this, says, what we've received, talking about we, meaning the apostles who wrote down everything that we have in the New Testament, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The apostles' teaching that we have in our New Testament was from the Holy Spirit, taught to the apostles who shared it with us through Spirit-taught words. So the Holy Spirit speaks to us through His Word, and He will not contradict His own Word. There are some people who will say that the Holy Spirit told me this, or the Holy Spirit told me that, or I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to do that, or telling me the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to go do that. And what they're claiming that they are sensing from the Holy Spirit goes directly against what he's already revealed to us in his word. And I'm just here to tell you that he's not going to do that. He's not going to contradict his word. The Holy Spirit is not telling you to move in with your girlfriend. 
The Holy Spirit is not telling you to go get an abortion. The Holy Spirit is not telling you to go get a divorce because you found your soulmate in your coworker. The Holy Spirit is not telling you to, sp- to share the spicy gossip in your prayer request. The Holy Spirit is not telling you to give that person a piece of your mind. The Holy Spirit is not telling you to post your thoughts on the internet so everybody can read them uh, your thoughts about people you don't even know. He's not telling you to do that. The Holy Spirit isn't telling you, well, it's your money, just go do with it whatever you want. He's not doing that. The Holy Spirit isn't telling you that you can go to the woods or in the car or on the trail or on your bike alone, and that's a valid spiritual replacement for a community of believers. He's not telling you that. The Holy Spirit is not telling you, just go do whatever you want to be happy. He's not doing that. If you're hearing that or sensing that, all of those things contradict what the scripture plainly says, which means that if you're sensing that, it is coming from the Holy Spirit because he wrote the book. In the same vein, the Holy Spirit does not replace the word of God. It does not replace the word of God. Having the Spirit of God in us does not negate the need to have the living and active Word of God in front of us. This is not an either or. In fact, do you remember how the Holy Spirit described the written Word in His written Word? Lots of ways, but let me give you one. Ephesians chapter 6, this is a whole text about uh, the putting on the full armor of God. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is the only offensive weapon that we have to fight off our enemy, the devil. It is the one that Jesus used in combat, and it's the one that has been passed on to us for generations. There's this dichotomy that's been created in church world over the last 50 to 100 years where you have what some will call a spirit-filled church on one hand and Bible churches on the other. And we have these two dichotomies. And in and of themselves, both of them are lacking. They're lacking. Spirit-filled churches should be filled with people who are wielding the sword of the Spirit better than anyone. But most, quote-unquote, Spirit-filled churches don't. They lean into the Spirit and neglect the Word. On the other side, you have these, quote-unquote, Bible churches And you just need to know that these Bible churches should be filled with people who are walking by the Spirit because he wrote the book. But most of them don't. They cling to the Word and they neglect the author. Many of us come from churches that fit into that second category. And we've actually created a new trinity. Instead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And we've just tried to replace the actual Spirit of God with the Word of God. Church, that can't be. I want us as a church to wield the 
the sword of the spirit like masters because we've been trained in it every day from the one who forged it. That is the spirit of God. The spirit and the word go hand in hand always. Which brings us to this question. Where are you believing a subjective word from the Spirit above the objective revealed word of the Spirit? Where are you leaning into this feeling that you got that the Holy Spirit is saying, I should do this or shouldn't do Where are you leaning into some subjective feeling that you get that contradicts the actual word that he's given us? Here's something else the Spirit won't do. He won't speak for you. Good news is he'll speak to you and would love to speak through you, but he won't speak for you. And the place where this one comes up the most is when it comes to us sharing our faith, spreading the gospel, actually fulfilling the great commission. Here's here's what we know. The Holy Spirit is not going to do the work of evangelism for us. I've shared this idea before, and it often startles people. So just brace yourself for just a second. Most of us need to stop praying for people to be saved. Cut your breath. We need to stop. Because here's what happens, because all too often we pray this prayer for God to save our loved ones or save our neighbor or to save these people, and then we say amen and we walk away feeling as if we've done our part. Well, I prayed for them. I prayed for their salvation. We feel like we've done our part, and I'm just here to tell you, you haven't. You haven't. God has called us to go make disciples. That was the Great Commission. Go make disciples. He's called us to go preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the world. It's our job. Like He's called us to do it. And what happens is that we pray for people. When we pray for people, we pray, God, save them. Save my son. Save my cousin. Save my neighbor. God, do your thing. Save these people. And essentially in those moments, what we're doing is we're sliding God's expectations back across the table. God said, go make disciples. And we're saying, no, you do it. I think you ought to. You ought to do it. And you just need to know that's not what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does not share the gospel. In fact, I would invite you. You all have Bibles. You can go look. If I'm wrong, you can always help me to get better. But there's no place in Scripture that I can find where the Holy Spirit shares the gospel. He doesn't do that. What the Holy Spirit does is he sets up the meetings so the people of God can share the gospel. Let me show you a few examples of that. Acts chapter eight, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So this is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and the Holy Spirit comes to Philip and says, you see that guy down there? He needs somebody to help him understand the gospel. Go go down there, go do that. He set up the meeting. Here's another one, Acts chapter 10. This is Peter and Cornelius, Peter having this vision. He's sitting there thinking about the vision and the spirit came and said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. 
So this is Peter and Cornelius. An angel came to Cornelius and said, hey, there's a guy up there named Peter or Simon. You need to go send for him. He's got a message for you. And then the spirit comes to Peter and says, hey, those guys down there, they've, they've got somewhere you need to go, so go with them. The Holy Spirit sets up the meeting. Peter goes to his house and shares the gospel. This is about Paul and and Silas, two of them, remember they were chosen. The Holy Spirit set them apart for the sake of ministry. And the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. The Holy Spirit could have gone to those synagogues himself and shared the gospel, but he didn't do that. Instead, he picked Paul, Silas, got a mission for you, get up, go down there, share the gospel. The Holy Spirit doesn't share the gospel. He doesn't preach the gospel. What he does instead is he he speaks through people to share the gospel. He won't share the gospel with your loved ones that you want to come to faith. But what he can do is prepare their hearts to hear it. What he can do is open your eyes to the opportunities, but he won't do it for you. He won't speak for you. In the same vein, the Holy Spirit won't overpower you. He won't overpower you. But the good news is he will empower you. You know the difference, right? He will empower you. He won't overpower you. Again, we can look through Acts chapter four, Peter and John, they're standing there before the Sanhedrin and the text says they are filled with the spirit and they were given words to speak, but they had to speak and they spoke boldly. In Acts chapter seven, there's a guy named Stephen who stands up and he proclaims the message of the word of God, preaches Even as people are picking up stones and stoning him to death, he's preaching the gospel. And it says he spoke with such power that the people who stood against him couldn't, didn't stand a chance. He was empowered, but he was not overpowered. In Acts chapter 21, there's a prophet named Agabus who prophesied about, by the Spirit, about Paul, how he'd be bound up and handed over and killed by the Gentiles, and on and on we could go about people who are filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, but in every instance where they were empowered, they were never overpowered. And what I mean by that is they didn't lose their, themselves. They weren't, they didn't, the, the Spirit didn't take over in such a way that they lost their memory or lost their autonomy. They never lost their autonomy. It, it, this isn't, When you're filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, it's not like what happens to Bruce Banner when the supernatural Hulk comes and takes over and he does mighty things and then he wakes up naked and confused and never remembers what happened. It's not how the Spirit works. He will not overpower you. But he will always empower you to accomplish the things that God has called you to accomplish. Which brings us to this question. Where are you asking the Spirit to do the work that he's actually empowered you to do? We're actually sitting around waiting for him to do the thing that he's actually called you to do. And not just called you, equipped you to do. Here's another thing the Spirit won't do. He won't control you. 
The Holy Spirit won't control you. The Spirit does not control us. What I mean by control us is that, that he won't control us in the sense that he makes us do things that we don't want to do or keeps us from doing things that we would want to do. Holy Spirit won't control us. He won't do it. He won't make you do the right thing if you choose not to. The Spirit does not treat us like marionettes, pulling the strings, making us do all the things that we should do. In fact, we know we have the ability to dishonor the Spirit, to disregard the Spirit, to disobey the Spirit. You know He doesn't control you because you have sin in your life. Every time you have you act out on your sinful desires, it's because He doesn't control you. If He did control you, you wouldn't have any sin issues. In fact, we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. But I think one of the most underrated parts of the fruit of the Spirit, and most of you, if you've been around church world, you know the fruit of the Spirit. Most, the most underrated part of the fruit of the Spirit is the last one. The last one is, fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's not spirit control. It's self-control. The Holy Spirit empowers us to act with self-control to do the things we know we should do and not do the things we know we shouldn't do. He doesn't control us. Which made me think of this question. Where are you blaming the Spirit for your lack of self-control? You're not acting on the ways that you should and doing things you shouldn't and not doing the things you're supposed to. Again, along the same lines, the Spirit will not kill temptation or sin for you. He just won't do it. I hear this especially in our culture, a lot of people who have accepted sin in their life, they will say something like this. Well, I prayed and I prayed for God to take this temptation away. I prayed and I prayed for God to take this sin away and he just hasn't done it. I prayed for him to remove this desire and he hasn't removed this desire. It's still in my life. So kind of, it's really actually kind of God's fault. Because if he would just take this desire away, then I wouldn't be dealing with this sin anymore. And so because he hasn't taken it away, he must be okay with it. But the scriptures say it's actually your responsibility and my responsibility to put our sin to death. Colossians 3 says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. He puts it squarely in our laps. You and I are to put sin to death in our life. We are called to rid ourselves of all of these things. It's our job. Again, for too many of us, we've taken this command and we've slid it back across the table and said, God, you need to do this. We tell God he should do what he's commanded us to do. God, you need to put this to death in me. And the Holy Spirit is not going to do that. He's not going to kill the temptation and sin for you. But he is your paraclete. Remember that word? It's from the first sermon in this series. Paraclete is the name that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit 
for the role that he would play in our life. A paraclete means the one who comes alongside you. He's your paraclete. He is the helper. Some of your Bibles translated helper. He will come alongside you and he will help you fight your sin and temptation, but he won't do it for you. In fact, Romans chapter eight puts it this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Again, we have an obligation. We have an obligation and it's not to the flesh, but our obligation is to put sin to death. You need to recognize what this is saying, that when it comes to sin in your life, you're either gonna kill it or it will kill you. Those are the two options. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Something's gonna die. Either your sin's gonna die or you're gonna die. You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. So you're either gonna put it to death or it will put you to death. You have a responsibility to put to death the misdeeds of the body. But here's the good news. But we get to do it by the Spirit. Like He will come alongside us and help us in this task. He will help us. He's not going to do it for you. You can't, you can't just keep living the way that you're living, going to the same places, uh, watching the same things, surrounding yourself with the same people and expect the spirit to keep you out of the same trouble. The Holy Spirit will help you kill your sin, but he won't kill it for you. He is your paraclete. He's not your mama. (laughs) He'll help you, but he won't do it for you. So here's a question. What temptation or sin are you continuing to allow in your life instead of putting it to death? With the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's another thing the Holy Spirit won't do. He won't shame you. Like this is such an amazing promise. He won't shame you. This is so important for us to understand. The Spirit is our advocate. He is not our accuser. We have an accuser, but it's not him. Remember, for those of you who were with us during our Roman series, we had a memory verse, probably one of the most important in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Like the Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. He does not bring condemnation. There is no condemnation in him. He brings life. He doesn't bring condemnation. He brings freedom. He wants to set you free. The Holy Spirit does not shame you, but he will reprove you. He won't condemn you, but he will correct you. He won't denounce you, but he will admonish you. It's part of what it means to be part of the family of God. We got to remember, we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit. But we also have an adversary in the devil. 
And when it is that we are feeling guilt or shame or pain or sorrow or regret, we have to ask ourselves, where is it coming from? Is it coming from my advocate or is it coming from my adversary? And the way that we can figure that answer out there's a great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that I share with people all the time when we're talking about shame. Here's what it says. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So there's two types of sorrow. There is godly sorrow and there is worldly sorrow. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. When we have sin in our life, unrepentant sin, there is a godly, Holy Spirit-driven guilt, sorrow. There's this pressure in us that we understand, oh my goodness, I've messed this up. And it's from the Holy Spirit. But what's the purpose? It is to bring us to a place of repentance. The Holy Spirit, when we have sin in our life, is pressing in to get us to a place of repentance where we acknowledge, oh my goodness, God, you are right and I was wrong and I've been living in a way that dishonors you and I confess my sin and I renounce my sin and I want to follow after you. That's what he desires through godly sorrow. And when he gets us to the place of repentance, that repentance leads to salvation and leaves no regret. In other words, it's not a lasting sorrow. It leaves no regret. Once you get to the place of repentance, the Holy Spirit says, great, now that we've got that out of the way, let's go. And we're moving forward and we're done with that. It's in the past. We don't have to, there's no regret attached to godly sorrow. But we have an adversary, and his desire is to bring about worldly sorrow. And his desire is just to keep on pressing in. His desire is to bring death to all that God wants to make alive in you. And he does it through shame, through condemnation. He keeps on condemning us and constantly reminding us of all of the ways that you have failed, all of the reasons that God doesn't love you, all of the reasons you're not worthy to, uh, to express or to, uh, to receive his grace. He is constantly accusing you, not just attacking you for the things that you have done, but assaulting you for something that you are. He just wants to shame you over and over and over again, and he never relents. And that kind of shame, that kind of sorrow, is worldly from the prince of this world. It's from our enemy. And so I tell people all the time that when they are being walloped by sorrow and shame and regret, I bring them back to this question. Do you have any unrepentant sin in your life? Is there anything in your life that you know you're living outside of the bounds of what God's called you to and you're doing it consistently like you've got this unrepentant sin? If you do, then you need to repent. You want to get rid of the sorrow, then repent. The Holy Spirit's going to press in to get you to repentance. But if you say, no, there's no unrepentant sin. It's not that I'm perfect, but every time I come face to face with my sin, I fall on my face again and I hand it to the Lord over and over again. That's a practice of my life every day. 
There is no unrepentant sin, but I still feel this thing. Then at that point, I tell people, then you have to fight. You got to fight your enemy with the sword of the spirit. And you got to remind him that you are in Christ and in Christ, there is no condemnation. That I won't receive what you're putting on me. I won't, I won't take this condemnation on myself. I won't receive this shame that you're trying to put on me. I reject it in the name of Jesus. And again, this is why we have these discipleship groups. If you haven't done a discipleship group yet, you need to. Because sometimes we have to have other people who will look us in the eye and help us to figure out whether this shame that we're feeling is coming from unrepentant sin out of a place of godly sorrow or if it's worldly sorrow. We have to find a place where we can confess and repent and people can help us to fight the enemy. So here's the question. What shame are you allowing to fester in your life? Do you need to repent of something or do, do you need to renounce something? Here's the last one. Again, really good news. The Holy Spirit won't leave you. This is all about what the Holy Spirit won't do and he won't leave you. This is the promise Jesus made. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father when he would give you another advocate to help you and to be with you Forever. He will not leave you. For as long as you are in Christ, the Spirit will be in you. That's the promise. That's the promise. Now, with that being said, you need to know that the feeling of the presence of the Holy Spirit in some kind of natural way or even some kind of supernatural way, that isn't part of the promise. That us having some kind of feeling of the Holy Spirit is not part of the promise. The reality is your feelings of intimacy with the Spirit will fluctuate throughout your journey with Jesus. There are going to be seasons where you are in the presence of the Lord and the, the Spirit of the Lord is palpable in your, in your life. And then there are other times where you're going to question whether or not He is even there. You're going to struggle to feel the sense of his presence at all. But we need to remember this. Your feelings are terrible at deciphering objective reality about the feelings in relationships. Terrible. You have people in your life that you sit with every day and you, you can be on the couch holding hands and one looks at the other and says, I don't feel close to you. How much closer can we get? <laughs> like our, our feelings are terrible at deciphering. They're just terrible. And if they're terrible at us deciphering even the closeness of the relationship of the people that are in our presence that we can see and feel and taste and touch, how bad do you think our feelings are going to be at deciphering the intimate presence of the Spirit in our life? You can't trust your feelings as the judge of the Spirit's faithfulness to fulfill this command or to fulfill this promise. Your feelings are not the judge of the Spirit's ability to fulfill this promise. 
So instead of trusting our feelings, we're going to trust his word. And what did the Spirit tell us in his word? Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. He promises to be with us always to the very end of the age. He will be with us forever. Even if I don't feel him, he's there working in us and on us and through us because he promised. So here's the last question. Where are you trusting your feelings Versus the promise of the Spirit's presence. And what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do to begin convincing yourself of the reality of the Spirit's presence in your life? If you are in Christ, the Spirit is in you. How would your life look if you actually believed that that was true? I want to leave you with this piece of hope today. The great promise is the Spirit will not leave you. He will be with you forever. Father, we are grateful for your word, for these promises today. And I pray that you would cement them into our souls that we live as if they're true. That you will not shame us and you will not leave us. May that change how we live and interact with those around us this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.